Hi everyone and welcome to The Constant Cheerleader, the podcast that champions the people who go above and beyond to make a difference in the world and their communities over a cuppa. My name is Gemma Stevenson and joining me today is a two-time world champion, passionate advocate for inclusivity in sport and someone who during lockdown is developing quite an obsession with funky coffee mugs. She's one of Britain's top tennis players, only you've probably not heard her name mentioned that much. As a player on the VI tennis circuit, the current world number one in the B1 category has an impressive list of on-court achievements, which includes world and national titles. But she has put down a racket for the time being to focus on her day job, working as a key worker on the front line of the fight against COVID-19. Here to give us 30 minutes of her best mat talk this week is Rachel Morgan. Hi, Rachel. I'm so glad we could have this because things have been pretty full on for you. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> so how does it now feel to be able to have a day, basically, with a cuppa and just to be able to chill? It's lovely. I'm still doing online training at the moment. There's lots of online stuff to do, but at least I'm doing it in the comfort of my own home with my favourite mugs. I have to ask you, this is the important question of our podcast, always is. You've just said you're in the comfort of your own home. What are you in the comfort of your own home drinking right now? Um, this morning we have cinnamon and pancake flavoured, really nice full black tea in a cheeseburger mug. Oh, well, hang on. Let's talk about that flavour of tea there. This is a flavour of tea I have never heard about and I feel like I need to know more about. <laughs> it's it's a really rich, nice, thick tea and it's just got a little bit of hint of cinnamon and it tastes like hot pancakes, really. Why can we not via Zoom? I mean, we're all doing everything via Zoom. People who've created Zoom, I hope you're listening to this. Um, why can we not via Zoom, like, somehow find a way to transfer what we're drinking and eating through? Because I'm going to be honest, I've been on Zoom calls and I fancied what other people are eating far more than what I have. Online tea tasting sounds amazing. Somebody needs to invent it. We leave it with you, world. Make it happen. You've mentioned your cup a little bit. And I want to talk to you, like, this burger cup really sums up, and I've mentioned it a little bit in the intro, you're kind of getting a name for yourself on Twitter of finding different places in your house every day to have a cuppa in a very, very um, different mug. Yeah, I'm loving the 3D mug. So uh, for the podcast, for the benefit of the podcast folks, um, they're all different tactile shapes. So I drink out of a large strawberry or in this case, a cheeseburger or a giant paw print or anything that's different, but it's kind of meaningful to me. Cheeseburgers aren't meaningful, but it's food and it's warming and it represents comfort. So, People are following you for these mugs, aren't they? They're like genuinely yeah. interested in these mugs. I know. I've got a hard game to follow up now. I've got to keep sourcing these mugs now to keep you all entertained. Do you find people share with you the like mugs they're drinking out of as well now you've started this thing? Yeah, it kind of has become a thing. And it's lovely that people put the little descriptions on so I know what they're drinking out of and everything. And also another element to my little tea ritual is that um, normally when I'm off out on working in the NHS mines, I'm on a tube at six o'clock in the morning with a travel mug. And it's all very kind of like I'm doing it because I need caffeine. So I like sitting outside on my steps uh, and just kind of taking the world in and slowing down time and enjoying that little ritual. So, I mean, I think that's the thing, isn't it, about this this time. You are a top-level VI tennis player. For anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about when I say VI tennis, it's visually impaired tennis, so it's for people who are blind and partially sighted. And 
alongside your role in the NHS, you are also training to be the best in the world at tennis. I'm doing routines at home when I can and I'm eating as healthy as I normally would but kind of countering for the fact that not as many calories are being expended unfortunately and it's it's done a complete flip because previously um because my employment's kind of based on the back of covid that most of my weekend efforts were tennis and every waking moment will be tennis and how I can be best not just a visually impaired tennis player but a really good tennis player in my own right and now that's had to take a back seat and I find myself when I'm at work I'm automatically back in tennis mode (laughs) it never goes when you've got your downtime and when you've got five minutes to just go and slink away and have a cup of tea in a boring NHS mug not a cheeseburger (laughs) you do find yourself going straight back into that kind of happy place I guess they've started to release the restrictions on tennis at the minute I mean but Mm -hmm. how much of a difference is that going to make to you because you have got a pretty full-on job at the minute are you going to be able to get down to court and be able to take advantage with that with training or is it just going to be a no-go at the minute I'm going to make it happen it, it needs to you need the balance in life so it's I do a lot of traveling and I do a lot of hard work so to do something I enjoy when I get home would be really lovely um can you tell us a bit about VR tennis like what is it who can play and there's a classification system isn't there within it that means that there's different rules for different players Yes, so vision impaired tennis is open to anyone who's blind or partially sighted and um, there's an included open category for people who don't meet the Paralympic classification but are still visually impaired. So for starting with B1, which is my classification, effectively totally blind or only the ability to perceive hand movements, that kind of scenario, you get three bounces and the court is a little bit smaller, so it's 13 metres by six and uh, you get your three bounces and it's a bit of a different game to the b2 to b4 setup where the more sight you have the fewer bounces you get and slightly big the bigger the court so a b2 plus court is 18 by eight meters something i really love that you put on twitter and it's something that really raises awareness is your um, tuesday tennis videos you don't just give us the facts you actually describe and show Mm-hmm. what it's like to be a VI tennis player. Um, you probably know which video I'm kind of alluding to. There was a brilliant one you put up the um, other day um, of literally just a blank screen with sounds. And you explained it and you said, here's a video of me playing VI tennis. Why, why is there no picture? Because that's how I play tennis. Yes. I mean, it's, it's something that, generally speaking the wider society doesn't understand blindness and visual impairment very much so it's a very far departure from what they know so to be able to give people the perspective of what I have and they're not looking at blackness they're not looking at anything all that exists is the sound of the ball is exactly how I play tennis does it limit where you can play sometimes the ball does respond differently on different surfaces so for me playing on a kind of unkempt tarmac is really bad i just don't do that but a good carpet court with good acoustics that you can um the lines for b1 totally blind are tactile so you need to kind of be able to stick it down yeah or either tape it down or use a bit of rubber that you kind of intermittently tape down so you kind of do need a reasonable surface but you can play anywhere so in the run-up to worlds last year i couldn't get a court at last minute so we ended up playing in the garden and using my garden reclining chair as a net 
Now, I also follow you because you are such a passionate advocate and such a voice wanting to show the inclusivity of any form of tennis. And Mm. also within that advocacy, a passionate advocate of showing young people what's possible to achieve in sport, aren't you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I've played against um, players in in wheelchairs and I've played against Fed Cup players and I've played against former Wimbledon champions. So to be able to equalise it and say, look, I use a different ball, but please don't think what I'm doing is less than you because I'm about to go on court and show you that I can fight. Giving children and young people kind of not because I didn't have it when I was younger, but I want everyone growing up with any form of impairment to believe that their life is as valuable as anybody else's. There's just sometimes an adaptation to reach that same point. It doesn't mean it's less valid. It's just a different means to an end. Moving forward, because we've seen the growth in particularly wheelchair tennis within disability sport Mm -hmm. develop this whole tour that's you know just like the ATP and the WTA tours are a full-on full-time job for people who want to make it a career you are world number one you know you are currently the best in the world moving into the future what would you like to see within the sport um, and develop within the sport to kind of maybe see the VI tennis circuit develop in that way too. I would love to see it take a similar path to wheelchair tennis so that there are more opportunities to get out there and play. So at the moment we have one international a year, which is great, but it makes me hungry for more people to be able to go on that platform and really develop as athletes and to take that path and hopefully get to the highest stage one day. And you're talking about the higher stage. You're also very vocal that one day you do want to see VI tennis in the Grand Slams and the Paralympics. It it surely deserves it and it, it would be a good format and people would enjoy it. Now, I noticed on your Twitter bio it says you're one half of a purple powerhouse. What is this purple powerhouse? I feel like we need to know more about it. Discuss. Um, I went to a demonstration tournament in Lewis a couple of years ago and my B1 doubles partner, Maria, lovely, lovely lady, uh, she turned up to the tournament as well and we didn't do doubles but it was just one of those coincidences and somebody mentioned to us that we're both wearing the exact same shirt and how did you know and all of this and I'm like ha 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 very funny don't be silly you've got better things to prank me with and they were like no you are actually wearing the same colour shirt same everything same brand same style same colour and then somebody said as a joke you should dye your hair purple so I did and everyone said oh that looks really nice so I'm now becoming more and more purple (laughs) I mean, it's a goal to have more purple in your life. When you're, when you're working as a key worker, it, you need to come in just in full-on purple. Um, and then people would know... You know how you see those stories of people putting stickers on the name? I think you just need, like, um, uniform that's purple and people would go, ah, oh, that's Rachel. We know who that is. Uh, yeah, I... I normally would go for that, but in my trust, um, all the scrubs are colour-coded according to your role. So the purple scrubs are consultant emergency medicine doctors. Okay. (laughs) I'm not there yet. (laughs) (laughs) You just find yourself in some some place having to have expertise that you don't have at the minute and going... (laughs) Oh, no, I'm so out of my depth right now. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I mean, we're joking about this, but we will make it more serious now because it is 
I mean, I can't imagine, but it must be quite a scary time. You're on the front line. You are fighting this thing and you are putting yourself most at risk. And that starts from your journey in the morning. I mean, you can't just walk or cycle like they're saying. You you have to take public transport and you have yes. to get there via public transport. And then once you get there, you're very exposed. I mean, what is it like? Tell me the realities of being a key worker right now. Um, the, the commuting is... I think the scariest because I don't like wearing any kind of anything that identifies me as an NHS worker. So I try to be very low key and I have a mask, but that's more they're they're more to protect people than you. It's for their good, not yours. So I kind of do that as a basic thing, but um, I try and be the tube is a very scary place at the minute because sometimes it can be very quiet and sometimes it can be very busy, but you kind of hear people, but you don't exactly know where they're sitting and it's very hard to keep your distance. So to that element, it's quite, but outside of disability, it's just a scary time for everybody. It's such a fast changing issue that you could be needed one day and then, you know, like you're out of a job in a month's time or you could be needed for the next six months in this particular role or everything is such an unknown, which to me is more scary because, you know, you can help patients as much as you like, but the reality is that people do die and it's devastating and it's not a nice way in that it happens and, you know, there's nothing you can do sometimes and it's heartbreaking to see that. And that's what, I mean, there's been a lot talked about it, hasn't it? You know, how it affects key workers like yourself who have to witness this day in, day out. Because one thing I really, I mean, in in everyday times anyway, I I have so much respect for the NHS workers. Um, whenever I go into hospital and I'm treated, I always love that there's this also this spirit in any NHS staff I encounter that just they they're they're just so positive as well but this situation a situation where you're trying to come to terms with something you never even come across before there is no way to fight it and you're kind of just trying everything to keep those that you don't want to die from dying but who are very risk you know what's it like mentally and also how do you keep yourself positive? Because you are a very positive person. And how do you stop from taking what's happened from that day at work into your everyday life? Like, or, or do you just not? Does it just sit there? Um, it, oh, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. We're a very tight-knit team. And that does mean a lot. And for me, I'm personally quite huggy. And I miss that element of it. Sometimes a hug can make it all go away. And obviously at work at the moment, that can't happen. But my my closest friend, um, he's working on the front lines as well. So we do spend a lot of time together. And we're at that level where I can just like raise an eyebrow and he will know exactly what it means. I don't have to go into any patient details. He just understands, which means the world to me. So mentally, it's very tiring because it's it's made my life a complete departure from what it previously was. But similar to a line that you're going to get in my mat talk and it can come back to it is that you have to roll with it there's no eject button from life you just have to be resilient you have to get on with it to the best of your ability because you're doing it 
for other human beings having a direct effect on other human beings who deserve the best care that they can and that's always at the forefront of my mind one thing is as well and i'm going to bring this more to everyday life now um you probably rely a lot on these communications that are coming from science from the government daily briefing I mean, a lot of the daily briefings are just completely lost on me. So um, I'm told that they, they have a lot of charts up and then uh, with the transport use and such. And then my friend will stop, the, he will pause the television and then have to go through the graphs with me individually and kind of discuss it from there. So there's a lot of stop and start and a lot of data that I'm missing out on that if I was on my own, if I lived alone, I wouldn't even know about. And that's a big thing in the... I've noticed that um, the VI community has very much been very vocal about this on social media and said, you know, how are you expecting us to know what to do if you if you can't even audio describe a an important, not just for key workers, but for everybody daily briefing? Yeah, (laughs) it is. It's a difficult one to to tell because obviously social distancing for us is something that cannot physically happen my cane is 125 centimeters so by the time i arc it you're looking at about a meter which is obviously half of what we're supposed to do so it does rely on common sense of the public to kind of say keep a wide space from me and i'm kind of reliant on everybody else which doesn't always translate because to a lot of people i am that cute innocent helpless blind lady that they absolutely need to help there's a there's a there's a hashtag is there isn't there just ask don't grab and it, yeah. it, people put instances of when this has happened. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing your tweet on Monday morning because, you, as you've mentioned, you have to get the tube and it's scary anyway, but um, during these times it's even scarier. You have to get the tube in the morning. And after the announcement on uh, Sunday, May the... Oh, God, I've forgotten what the date... May the 10th it was, wasn't it? Um, when there seemed to be this thing of everybody being told to... Um, go back to work Mm. if they could like if they couldn't work from home there was a real concern from you wasn't there about what your experience on the tube would be like yeah I was really worried that as soon as they would interpret it as a green light almost to just as you were and obviously other people are fearful and that has had an impact but I'm yeah I'm not able to distance myself and people don't protect themselves properly so we don't want a second wave that would be devastating so i'm i'm so nervous that people won't stay at home and won't heed that advice oh that's the thing because as well as you guys there's been confusing advice hasn't there i mean but it is a serious thing isn't it mm-hmm. it is yes so as lockdown we now have this plan in place that there's these steps yes as 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 the steps become less restrictive are is there a concern there for you? Um, to be fair, on my way to work, I do have at the moment people who do think that I'm so helpless and pitiful and just grab me anyway without saying anything. And then I do kind of, the first time it happens, you're kind of like, oh, no, I'm fine and smile. But then by the end of the day and the 30th time that happened, it's really, really hard to hold your tongue. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm, 
there's a um, kind of a common perception that because you're sweeping for things on the floor, you don't actually know where you are. And part of the reason of a, behind a cane is that there are markers that we look for on the floor with the cane to tell us where we are. So sometimes walking for me into a post is what I want to do because I then know where that post is. But a lot of people go, oh, no, no, she's going to walk into this lab post and act like it's the end of the world and come to my aid and lurch at me (laughs) i i also wonder even during lockdown how did you navigate supermarkets because you you can't see the two meter stickers no that has been a nightmare and unfortunately fortunately sorry most members of staff guarding the door have been very good with that but on the times where they've gone no 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 no, you have to queue like everyone else i'll just go but i can't feel the floor and if they still don't understand that i just produce my nhs id in terms of physically going to the shop it's an issue because people guiding you around the shop normally you hold on to the back of their elbow but the kind of way I've got around that is that they pull the super the, the trolley from in front of them and I hold on to the handle of it and just follow the trolley rather than them. There are workarounds, but they're not easy. That's one thing I will say about you, Rachel. You are the master of invention when it comes to adaptations. I feel like if there's ever a problem, I, it's, people should come to you and go, oh, Rachel knows how to adapt that. Yes, absolutely. When I did my job interview, I actually said that because they were like, well, how would you do it as a blind person? And I went, well, don't think about what I'm going to need from you. Think about what I have to give to you because I have these problem solving skills that are not really common. I can think about things in a different way and look for more solutions than problems. So does it give you the steely determination to say, right, I'm going to do this when someone says that you're not capable of it? I'm like, right, you think that. <laughs> I'm yeah. just going to go ahead and fight that. But even competitively, do you not find? Because like, I play tennis, and but the sport I'm higher maybe up in is obviously, the reason why this podcast is called this, is cheerleading. Yes. And people assume that I don't have that competitive streak <laughs> because I'm a disabled athlete. And I'm like... No, I want to go out there and I want to hit zero on that floor. I want to go out there and, yes, I might not win that tennis match, but I want to know that I've played the best tennis and I want to try and win. I mean... Go hard or go home. You've only got one life. You may as well try your damnedest and try for perfection if you can. Why not? (laughs) Work it. Do you have people that like that as well? Like you've talked a bit about it with on the street and people assuming they need to help you. But do you have people assuming you can't do stuff? It happens all the time, and not mostly because I'm blind, mostly because I'm a woman in healthcare, where most of my frustration stems from, because everyone sees me as the petite, disabled, I'm, I'm just over five foot, not even five foot one, so I'm quite petite, disabled, reasonably young woman, people just kind of take that pity over me, and sometimes people don't even realise that I can't see, and they're just like, oh, woman, must help, <laughs> and that's worse, in my opinion, than just kind of grabbing me, because that's, you know, at least I can kind of see why people do it in the street, but to do it at work is just belittling. <laughs> yeah, no, and and for being a woman as well. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, talking about um, getting people to see the other side of life right now as a human being um we've now reached the point um because we we have we've been talking for ages i can't believe it it's actually been half an hour every week um we've we reach a point where we have to ask you for 
your cultural exchange moment. So um, for those of you who haven't or aren't involved in cheer, cultural exchange is something we do at competitions where as cheerleaders from one country, we give a gift to cheerleaders of another country. So Rachel, this is your chance to give our listeners and the wider world, I mean, you've given us lots of cultural exchange already, but just another bit of cultural exchange. Okay, um, I think it has to be that, yes, we don't know how long this is going to be and when we will come out of the other side and when life will be normal and happy, but my advice and my little takeaway for you all is to just enjoy those moments that you really are enjoying when you're happy, when you're truly happy, and kind of forget the clock forget that you've been at home all time just treasure those moments really savor not feeling that sense of time and just enjoy what you do um really really brilliant thought and one thing that helps people enjoy what they do is motivation isn't it and there's another part of cheerleading which i'm going to ask you to do now which is incredibly motivational it's called mat talk um if you haven't been involved in cheerleading again or if if you haven't um been able to watch cheer on netflix um there's a cheerleader there called jerry harris and he is the ultimate team player when it comes to giving his teammates motivation uh mm. on the mat his mat talk has become famous um worldwide we're going to try and make your mat talk famous now rachel so have you got some mat talk for us i do I'm going to give you the chant that I use to myself when I play tennis for GB, when I'm where where they're wearing that red, white and blue and I'm trying to really psychologically get myself into that space. Um, On my eyeshades, I have in Braille the words play, fight, win. Because you turn up, you're here, you're in this situation, you are going to give it your absolute best and hopefully that will be enough. I love it. Play, fight, win. Love it that's the name of the episode um and it, it sums you up pretty much perfectly i know because you don't go into anything to be second best you go you go and you prepare for everything to be the best and not just the best visually impaired key worker or the best visually impaired tennis player to be the best key best. worker and to be the best tennis player take absolutely. the visual impairment out of it absolutely um i mean on that note like I said before, I can't believe that's half an hour of chat over with. It's gone so fast. Um, and so all that's left for me to do now, after that incredible Matt talk from you, Rachel, is say thank you for joining me today and giving up some your day off. Um, I really appreciate it and I really appreciate you giving us the time. Um, and, and having this really important conversation, not just about sport, but about your everyday life. And also thank you to everybody for listening. Um, and I'll leave you with this one final message and that is to stay safe and stay well and we will meet again at the same time next week to champion another of life's cheerleaders thank you